show. And our guest for this show, he has design credits from Off-Broadway to Broadway to the Metropolitan Opera, San Francisco. He certainly worked in San Francisco at the Magic Theater at uh, San Francisco's Opera, and of course, most recently, with uh, the American Conservatory Theater. Welcome, Eric Flatmo. Hi, Diana. Thank you for having me here. We are delighted. You're jumping from coast to coast that yeah. you made time. I, I, I should make clear before we go too far that my uh, design credits for Broadway and the Metropolitan Opera were as an assistant designer, so it wasn't exactly my designs. He's so humble. Um, he does so much beautiful work, and he's so know, humble. <laughs> although I was I was loud in, uh, loud in the buildings. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yes, I was an assistant designer on Broadway and at the Met. Was, so. Now, on Broadway, was that for Lacage? Um, yeah, I, I worked the most on Lacage. I, I worked for a designer named Scott Pask. Mm -hmm. um, I worked on Urinetown and um, in La Caja Fall, um, and I also worked for a designer named Robert Brill on the Revival of Assassins. Incredible. Um, yeah, and at the Met, it was with a designer named Santa Laquasto, um, and we worked on A View from the Bridge. Yes. And also um, Salome, um, the more recent uh, revival. Fantastic. Yeah. Now, just this weekend here in San Francisco, the uh, government inspector opened at ACT, correct? Yes, Nicolai? which was my full design. That was all you, baby. Yes, exactly. Now, we, um, I originally uh, learned about you through a, a fellow theater maker was looking for a designer, and he came across an article in the SF Gate, uh, an interview with you. And the thing that really sprung out of that and, and made me want to call you and have you come on is uh, – you're really a proponent of realism in your design. You're a man who's not afraid to use a tree as a tree. Uh-huh. <laughs> and um, I, a lot of designers are, are turning away from the uh, suggestive realism of mm -hmm. the 70s, and we're seeing a lot more realism on stage. What do you credit that to? Oh, boy. That is a... That is a very complicated question, and that's something that I uh, deal with on a daily basis um, that I... Uh, think about a lot, um, particularly because when I started doing set design, all my work was incredibly abstract. Okay. Um, you know, when I look at it originally, um, the work um, that I was doing in San Francisco in, in the late 90s, um, it was it was stuff that I threw together in my apartment in Noe Valley, <laughs> um, completely ungrounded in realism. Okay. Um, you know, I, I put things together with PVC pipes and tubing, and I was very interested in materials and materiality and okay. what kind of new things could I do on stage. Um, when I went to um, graduate school, it was really pounded in my head that um, – what a designer needs to do is what is best for the production, what is best for the play. And sometimes you look at a play and you think, what I can do best for this is give it a very realistic living room. Okay. Um, so I think that that's part of it because sometimes plays don't necessarily need abstraction. And if right. you can take your artistic hubris out of the equation and think what is best for this, I think that leads to that. Um, I think some other um, interesting threads, though, are that uh, I think film um, has had such an effect um, on the uh, visual psyche. Of course, of the, of of the, the audience. Yeah, yeah. And um, as, as, as people know, as, you know, realism is something that works very well in film. Sure. Sure. You know, we, 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 we buy that these, cut, these characters really are those people. Um, so I think that that has sort of carried over into um, – into the st onto the stage. Okay. Um, and I would also say personally that um, as my 
skills. I mean, like my technique, my ability to draw, my ability to detail, my ability to look at the world around me and translate that into things. Right. Um, because I can do that, it makes it easier to do that. Now, you collaborate with a lot of new writers, so yeah. you have that, that privilege. Do you find uh, that they are writing things that, because I can put this on stage because I know Eric can build it. Are you driving work for new writers? Um, I don't think that any playwright has known that I was going to be the designer on the show as they were scripting it. Um, so, um, so no, I don't think that's the case. Um, but similar to what I just said, that when you're working on a new play, which I've done many new plays, I think the question you really have to ask yourself is what does this playwright really, really want? Okay. You know, what, what is the playwright's intention? Um, and then I think if you're doing a production that's, you know, several years after the fact or the play's already been, been produced as the playwright wants, sure. then, um, then I think it's okay to sort of think more outside the, the box. Yeah, and... Um, yeah, and then and I think also uh, similar to that is when you're working. You know, I did so much work, and I still do with theater companies that don't have a lot of money. Right, and you feel a lot like you really want to show that what you're doing is um, really well produced. Right, I've heard so many uh, yeah. reviewers say, "I'm tired of going and paying thirty-five dollars to see an empty stage in a black box." So you want to do it well. Yeah, and and actually, if we talk about Peter Nochtrieb's uh, Hunter Gathers, I have some interesting things to say about I that. I definitely so. want to talk about yeah. that. Peter Nochtrieb, one of uh, the Bay Area's leading lights, new playwrights, and uh, he had a show recently open in New York, and uh, you worked on his Hunter Gathers, so we'll talk about that. In the past, when I've had the pleasure of interviewing authors, they've often talked about characters that they planned is going to go a certain direction, and then the character takes off in a whole different direction. And that reminds me a bit of your career trajectory, because your undergraduate work, you started as an architect, uh -huh. and then after an encounter with a grand puppeteer, you went in a completely different direction. Yeah, a little bit. You want to share a little bit about that? Um, well, basically, um, I... Uh, studied architecture as an undergraduate at Columbia University, wasn't really sure what I wanted to do with my life. I think I deep down always knew I was a designer of something, but okay. was sort of uh, embarrassed to really embrace that. Hadn't I don't let know those why. wings fly just yet. I should have been, yeah. But I took a couple of, um, while I was studying architecture, I took a couple of stage design courses from a puppeteer named Amy, Amy Trompeter, mm -hmm. um, who's fabulous, had worked with Bread and Puppet Theater in Vermont quite a bit. Oh, yes. Um, and after I graduated from graduate school, I, I'm sorry, from undergrad, I came, returned home to San Francisco um, by route of the Santa Fe Opera. Nice. Where I did this apprentice program there. Fell in love with opera. And then I was out here working as a drafter for a small Bay Area uh, structural design and architecture firm and said, what am I going to do with my life? And at that point, um, I hooked up with uh, several of the founding members of Killing My Lobster comedy troupe. Fantastic. And they said, why don't you design scenery? And so <laughs> then I sort of, not knowing what I was really doing, I started doing it. And I just was immediately addicted. And one thing led to another. And uh, That's here phenomenal. I am. And now, which productions with Killing My Lobster did you work on? Um, well, most recently is uh, Hunter, Gatherers, Hunter Gatherers, which was Peter Nochtrieb's play. And then I've done... Um, 
a handful of the sketch comedy shows. Um, to be honest, all all of the titles of the ones <laughs> I worked on, I can't remember. Um, Killing My Lobster Loves a Parade is yes. one that I did in the late '90s. That was at the Magic, at the Rhinoceros. We did rented rented the space at Theater Rhinoceros. Now you've worked. Speaking of the Rhinoceros, you uh, you worked with John Fisher. Yeah, John Fisher is a very a dear friend of mine, and um, he he's actually one of the first people, um, other than Killing My Lobster, who really. Um, you know, gave me my first break. Um, he was doing a production of, of Titus. Yes, the musical. Titus, of... exclamation point. This is sort of on the heels of the of the very famous Medea the Musical. Right. And then he did uh, Titus, which was at Yerba Buena Center for the Arts, outdoors. And it was this huge uh, production where the audience moved around um, through the, the Yerba Buena Center gardens. Oh, fantastic. Um, and, it was, and it was outdoors. And he, um, you know, and I came to him and I said, you know, it, it, it involved making weapons for an army. This is what I really remember. And I and I and I came up to John and said, "You know, you can go to a ninety-nine cent store." And I went down on Mission Street and bought all sorts of uh, like fly swatters and toilet bowl cleaners yes. and um, all sorts of different um, plastic doodads and screwed them all to pieces of PVC pipe. Oh, that's and fabulous. made shields out of. Um, the lids of garbage cans, plastic garbage can lids, and I painted these sort of Roman uh, designs on them. And, That's and, fabulous. Yeah, so John John was very, uh, very instrumental. And he is actually one of the people that sort of encouraged me to, uh, he did encourage me to apply to graduate school. Oh, he must be very proud of you now. Yes, and I've and I had the pleasure when I came back here, um, I, I, I worked with him and, and uh, still remain in touch with him to this day. Fantastic. Yeah. My good friend Matt Weimer is over there working with him as the assistant uh, yes, director. Yes, I know Matt. He's wonderful. Phenomenally talented actor. He was, and uh, I did a production of uh, Beautiful Child. <gasps> did you Matt, design Beautiful this, Child? Yeah, that was probably the the first or second set I did once I returned here from New York. I I tried to find out if that was your design, and I was unable to find it on the website. Yeah, I loved the show. And that's an example of doing realism in a space that's not really uh, conducive for it as much. I mean, the theater rhino stage is um, very wide. Um, it's 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 a little bit more challenging to uh, evoke the, the, the feel of realism because you don't have a proscenium arch. Sure. So, But I felt that that's what that play wanted. And I think you did a terrific job. And next time we I do it, I'll do it. We need to put up pictures of that set. Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry, the next time you I do it. I said, next time I do it, I'm going to do it completely uh, in a figurative or abstract manner. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I have, I have no. I have, that play, uh, I remember they, they called it a bit of a modern Greek tragedy. Uh-huh. It was beautiful. Okay. And the... I remember the uh, the outdoor space that you created. It was, it was very small, but it was incredibly evocative of that little patio space. Yeah, there's all the way. It was a challenging play because most of its interior. You know, there's a lot of plays like this where you read it, and as a set designer, you think, "God, how are <laughs> they? How is anyone going to do that?" Right. Um, you know, Hunter Gatherers was similar in that there most of the play takes place in a San Francisco live work loft right. space, um, but then there's these side scenes that happen in a bathroom. And there's only you go there. T- there's two scenes in the bathroom, and they're very short in comparison with the rest of the play. Right. 
So um, you had a story to tell us about Peter Noctree. Oh, bit. well, I, nothing specific except for the fact that when um, I moved back to San Francisco after, after college, we both were uh, members of Killing My Lobster. So I, I um, so our, our uh, collaboration, although I don't know if I ever directly worked with Peter, but we both knew each other. Um, okay. So I feel very much of a part of a family with him, I'd say. Well, so. you're in good family with yeah, him, indeed. Yeah, I, I hope so. Now, he's teaching a class. You're also teaching at Stanford? Yes, I work I'm, I work at Stanford, so I'm the uh, I'm basically the, you know, set designer at Stanford. So I design scenery for the department productions, and um, I also teach scenic design. So Stanford undergrads mostly. Um, uh, so if you go to Stanford and you want to learn how to make a set, I would be the person to teach you, yeah. Wonderful. Yeah, and pr- previous I taught at uh, Barnard College in New York. I've often heard teachers say they have learned so much from their students. Is there anything in particular you'd like to talk about that you've learned from your students? Well, what I'm really sort of uh, getting, what I'm really interested in right now um, is being able to use the classroom as um, as a way to uh, work out some of my own ideas. Nice. And I don't mean take advantage of my students, but for example, you know, um, uh, tying into what we've already been talking about, but you know, I've be, I've been I've begun um, this journey of questioning realism in my own work, okay. and sort of wondering what for me lies beyond this, and I'm sort of hungering to do sets that aren't realistic. So in in my introductory class, I've really been able to sort of push my students to think of alternatives to realistic designs. Oh, um, really? Okay. Which I think is sort of a sort of a surrogate for myself doing it. <laughs> I love it. You have other hands doing the work you can't yeah, but do it's, right but now. It's, but it's good. You know, it's a lot, I, I believe in a classroom there is room for questioning. Oh, know? absolutely. So, yeah. Are you uh, noticing any I don't know, uh, emerging aesthetic or I hate to use the word trend, but any I guess like a trend would be the word coming out of your designers that you're working with. Are, are they leaning? You mean at Stanford or yes. just in general? Um at Stanford, not necessarily. Most of the kids, you know, most of my students are pretty, um, oh, what's, I'm not sure what's the appropriate word to say, but, you know, most of them haven't designed they're still scenery before. Learning um, the they're wonderful. Baby I love steps. them all dearly and, and they're very talented, but a lot of them um, have never designed scenery before. Sure. So um, I think a lot of, Probably a lot of sassy designs are based on things that they've done before. Um, you know, there's always a lot of uh, platforming, you know, for example, <laughs> you know, which is something I try to sort of shy them, you know, get them uh, get them away from. Is that one of the worst things you, <laughs> you walk into? No, no, I think platforming is great when it's, but it's needed. needed. But I think there's this sort of idea, and I think fundamentally it stems from uh, death of a salesman. But a lot of people, when they're starting out making scenery, their first instinct is to put a lot of just a lot of platforming on stage, <laughs> which can, if you know, particularly with the ways that plays are written these days, where you want a, a fluid environment that can change quickly, because scripts yes. these days tend to be a little bit more cinematic. We have multiple locations that happen. Dan quickly. Wilson writes completely that way, don't you, Mr. Wilson? You're very cinematic. Oftentimes, mm-hmm. yes. seventeen yeah. scene changes in yeah. one show. Shut up. <laughs> yeah. And no, but yeah. I would. You started to say, are you seeing a trend in other designers outside of your students? Well, um, one trend that um, I'm glad I think is is about over is <laughs> um, is, is the all white set. Oh um, yes. Yeah, that was we've. I think the past five years we've suffered quite a bit through that, um, and then I think, uh, you know, and, and I think that there is a place for all white sets, but I think that. Um, 
all white. It, it's be, it's become less of an idea and more of a lack of an idea. I remember I saw a production of Tartuffe at the opera, and it was beautiful, but it was an yeah. entirely white set, and I was yeah. devastated because I wanted opulence and color. And yeah, and one of the one of the things that um, one of my major criticisms of all white set is that it's very difficult on your eye. Mm -hmm. um, actually, Jennifer Tipton, who's a world famous lighting designer, had pointed this out to me. But it can be exhausting uh, to focus visually on a because it's so bright on a right. white space for that long no relief. Um, so yeah so color can be relief but all said you know i'll say this right now and then i'll probably go design an all white <laughs> set um you know and all white sets in in truth aren't usually all white they're usually it's usually a, a gray totally or an off white, white that appears white um and then selective realism i think is a really uh been a big fad mm -hmm. um you know and 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 i'm just as guilty of it as anybody else or I, I shouldn't even say guilty I use it as much as anyone else um, but that's where you have say in an, in, in an abstract space but there are moments of very realistic detail okay yes yeah I I could yes I know exactly what you're speaking of you know like of. It's, a, it's, a, it's just a white void but then you see there's a little bathroom but it's very it's naturalistically done right yeah fascinating okay now I know you walked in with uh, some Research material in your hands. What are you working on next? Um, well, currently um, I'm in the. I'm, I have drawings due for Eugene Onegin at uh, Opera San Jose. Nice. Yeah, so I'm, I'm currently working on two operas for them. I'm doing the Magic Flute and Eugene Onegin. Uh, Magic Flute is actually will open in about a month, and then Onegin is next fall. When you begin a design, um, I did read that you like to work three-dimensionally. You're not a, a designer that would just start with a sketch. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, you'd work off a floor plan, but then... So describe a little bit, since we're audio here, of uh, your first few steps of, yeah. of bringing something to life. Yeah, and... Um and I should say, I, I do sketch. That, okay. is a, that, is a, that is a part of my process. But um, in comparison to designers in, in the past, um, I do not use it as much as they do. Um, but usually um, where I start is with research. Okay. Um, you know, I, I would say definitely with research. Um, everything I'm about to say right now, there are exceptions to the rules. Um, in fact, I just, I'm designing a show for the Magic Theater right now where I didn't do any research at all because I read the script and I had a, my gut had an idea exactly yeah. what I wanted to do. Lovely. But in general, it would be deciding, doing research into the times and mm -hmm. lives of of the world or the characters that you're, you're working on. Um, so for Government Inspector, right. right, which is a Google play set in the um, early um, 1800s, mid-early mid, mid 1800s, um, you know, it was really about learning about Russia and what that looks like. Okay. Um, and uh, I think um, while you're doing this research, looking at pictures, um, I think it's important to say, you know, I may be doing something, something that's totally realistic and I may not. But even if I don't, it's good to know where I'm coming from. Absolutely. Yes. Um, it's actually, it's interesting because I'm currently working, uh, or I, well, I just finished Government Inspector, but I have three Russian plays. So I have, I have Eugene <laughs> Onegin, which is an yes. opera set, in, set in, in, in 19th century Russia, and Government Inspector, Gogol. same thing, Gogol, and then um, Uncle Vanya, which I'm doing ah. with a Timinir this summer at uh Cal Shakes. Oh, this is your Russian So period. I sort of, I've been jokingly saying, you know, I've, I've seen every book at the San Francisco Library that has pictures <laughs> of, of Russia in it. So, you know, just absorb as much visual information as I can. That's wonderful. Um, yeah. Usually, um, 
from there, um, I'll do some rough sketches. Okay. Um, you know, very simple things that I usually, I would say I do in under two minutes. You know, not illustrative things, but I love them because I think that they're very uh, fresh and raw in a good way. Um, and um, then I usually jump into a ground plan. Okay. And the way that I was been taught is that the ground plan is sort of the generator. Um, and that's not to say that everybody needs to design this way, but usually I find if I figure out a ground plan first, I can extrapolate the rest of the set. Mm-hmm. Um, so I sort of start with that, and it's a very Western way to go, um, but it works for me. <laughs> it works for you, you. know, it's, and and you know, and in and, and, and then and then and so then I usually figure out a ground plan that works, and then I would say that the sort of uh, the. The, the, the thing that I do next, which is sort of uh, interesting, I, you know, if it's interesting at all, but, <laughs> um, but is that I'll usually make a, an, an eighth-inch model. So I'll, I'll uh, put together a, at a very small scale a, a cardboard approximation of what I'm thinking okay. um, in, th- in three-dimensional that seems it would be incredibly helpful because you can see how the actors yeah. can move. And- yeah, um, and, then, and then usually from there and then that leads to making a even better ground plan and even better uh different you know side views and and elevation views and then that leads to a quarter inch model okay um so you know previously in set design you know and i mean sort of up until you know i mean even to the day there's still designers that work this way but um you know earlier in this century um designers were more illustrative Mm -hmm. so they would uh often not even make a model. They would right. do a sort of like an illustration picture that yeah. showed a director what the, uh, you know, what the view is and, um, you know, what, this, what the set is going to look like. I um, mean, it's usually a colored sketch. Um, these are model-centric times, and most designers that have gone to a graduate school program have learned model-making techniques. Okay. And even designers that haven't gone to graduate school, you know. <laughs> But, uh, but, you know, people have learned model-making techniques, and it's sort of this idea that you can make a model, and then it's this three-dimensional view, and you can show it to the director. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have to, you know, and I am, um, you know, people ask me all the time about uh, computer 3D software and that of kind course. of thing. Um, I love I absolutely love the craft of making a physical model. Um, and I love being with the director and having that thing right in front of us. Oh, um, yeah. You know, so... Uh, so I don't use the computer. I use the computer for drafting, but I don't do it as much for 3D uh, modeling. I, that you're doing so much Russian work. I remember seeing an exhibit of uh, Russian theatrical works from the 30s, and their models, mm-hmm. their little scale models, were these elaborate artistic renderings. Mm-hmm. And I, I loved them. And so I can imagine that for a director to be able to see that yeah. and work collaboratively with you like that, it, it can't compare to a flat image. Oh, yeah. They're incredible. I mean, the downside is they take forever to make. <laughs> <laughs> they take forever. They're very expensive and if you if you really look at your, like, time and labor. And I would that. imagine. So, yeah. So, you know, but it's but they're great. I mean, Is there I a jewel of your collection, one of, I of give, that you've created that you're, most, that you're most proud of, of your models? Oh, boy. That's a really a tough call. Um, I did a model for um, – I did, I did an opera at the Cowl called Transformations. Uh-huh. It was a part of the Marilla program and directed by Joe Good. 
Um, and it was the set was based on a, a photograph of Anne Sexton's backyard. Yes. And um, I loved that model. I just loved it. It was like grass and these four lollipop trees and this like backyard fence. And I did see the image on your website. And I it's made a stunning. little barbecue. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. How? What did you make the little barbecue out of? <laughs> I have to you know. know, I I had this like little. It was this little round. I think it was like a bowl for a for like a um, for a dollhouse. You know, you can buy like sort of like. So it was like a tiny Weber. Yeah, but then like <laughs> I used that to be the Weber. Yeah, that's fabulous. That was, that was a lot of fun. I really liked that one. But you know, all my models are very, very dear to me. So, do you have uh, now? You work uh, with uh, new works predominantly, but is there a show, a revival that you would love to do the design for? Oh yeah, hands down, I want to do Annie. Ah! So if anybody's doing the musical <laughs> Annie, that's my that's my dream. Okay, if you're listening <laughs> and you have the wherewithal to mount the new Broadway production of Annie, you must I, call Eric. But I think uh, New York and the and you get to do New York in, in the Depression, which I think is is an amazing period to Absolutely. look at. Um, but also when I had been um, when I was growing up, I grew up in Palo Alto, and I you know. I, you know, I think when I was about five, I was born in 1975, but the the tour of the Broadway Annie yes. came to the Golden Gate Theater. Oh, my goodness. And you went? Yeah. Well, actually, I think my parents took my sister. And then <laughs> I threw a fit because I wanted to see it, too. <laughs> and they took me up to see it. And what I what I remember more than anything was there, there was a scene where there was a Brooklyn Bridge. <sighs> and I didn't know what the Brooklyn Bridge was. And then there were all the Hooverites underneath. Yes. And I just remember being very struck by that stage picture. Um, so Annie has sort of, because of that, has stuck with me. That sort of that scene with the Brooklyn Bridge, I think, is really, is really wonderful. So evocative. That's incredible. Yeah. And then, um, you know, and I have some other, you know, like the master builder I'm dying to do. Ah, okay. You know, someday. And, uh so is Carmen, there, the opera I would oh, love to do. So Oh, phenomenal. Yeah. So is there a period in time that you would like to live in besides this one? Oh. That you've researched, that I don't you've know struck if by? A, there, I mean, they're all wonderful. Or perhaps just visit. I mean, frankly, who wants to give up all of our current uh, comforts? But if you could visit. If I could visit. Oh, um, boy, I haven't really thought about that. Um, Well, you get to visit all of them. <laughs> I mean, as yeah. you design things, you've been everywhere. I, I don't have an answer just because there's this, there's, there's, uh, they're so hard to choose. And some of the things are like, like for example, um, when I was in school, I did a version of um, Carmen. Um, it, this wasn't a produced project; it was a class project. But Carmen said in in the 30s in Spain. So oh. I, you know, it'd be great to say oh, I would love to, but you know, who wants to? Yeah, I don't want to go to a Franco era of Spain. You know, <laughs> not, no, but, not really. But it was b- beautiful aesthetically, though. Yes. Yeah, but I, I mean, I have to say, is I see so much beautiful research. I mean, it's just breathtaking just to look at all the pictures you see. It's, it's actually sort of a, a little bit of a problem because you fall in love with so many different views and so many images that you see right. and you want to put them all in this. You know, you're always thinking, you know, it's like you come across some beautiful picture of a, of a say, a, a swimming pool and then you think, God, they should go swimming in this play <laughs> even though they don't need to, you know. So I, I tell my students all the time that you have to really, um, it's like picking between your children. Yes. You know, you have to say, okay, this is really what is best for this play, this picture, and I have to put these other pictures away. Um, yeah. There is a um, collect collection at the New York Public Library called the mm-hmm. Picture Collection, which is a wonderful tour 
tool for designers. I um, mean, it's just this whole big room full of um, folders with pictures in it. Oh. And you can go and you can research anything. And, um, you know, you could look at, you know, say, like, dogs or, um, you know, Germany 1860. And you oh. just sit there and they've all been cataloged and mounted. And, I mean, you just go through. And that's, that's always a really wonderful experience. That is phenomenal. I would have to ask you, you've had the pleasure of working um, in a lot of different venues of varying budget sizes. And, and so would you have some advice for smaller theater designers that are trying to serve their plays? So often small theater, uh, dressing the set is one of the last things people think about. Mm-hmm. And, and from what I've had the opportunity to read about you, almost everything on your set definitely is serving and it has a meaning. It's not just going to be there because it's a pop of color or it matches mm-hmm. the couch or we found this on sale. Um, so would you have any advice for designers who are working on a limited budget of how to best serve the show and stay within that very narrow budget that they're probably given? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that the, the trick always is, is um, you know, what's there really needs to be there and okay. wants to be there, you know. So you need to think about it is not a prop, but it is the prop. Okay. You know, and the props are part of your jurisdiction also. So you need to make sure that everything that goes up on that set is what you want it to be there. Um, but the designs I love the best always are the ones that are the most simple, the ones Great. that really get at the heart of the the, the play um, and don't have a lot of unnecessary um, detail, all you know, single-handedly. So as, if you can do that, I mean, that's, that's always, you know, so if you have a limited budget, I mean, really, um, you know, re- really, really, do that. Uh, a student of mine just designed a, a, a set for a production of Pinter's uh, Betrayal, ah. and um, she had did, she did it all with white sheets where they uh, she spray painted um, the dates of the years oh. on the sheets, and the actors held them. And I just thought that was just so simple that and so nice. That is wonderful. Yeah, so simple, simple is better. And I think if you stick with it, the big things will come. You know, I was incredibly impatient. <laughs> you know, I wanted to get to the big leagues quick. You know, and and uh, of course. Yeah, you know, and it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's the simple things that really work well. Now, you design not only for theater but also for dance, and are the design requirements substantially different? Yeah, well, the biggest thing about dance is dance has like no money. Like dance okay. like, really has no money. Wow, and, so it really um, is a full circle back to the small budget production. <laughs> you think theater has no money? Um, ah. But in you know, but in terms of it, I mean, I mean, the the biggest thing is is you can't put stuff that's going to get in the way of the dance. Of course, you know, so you can't clutter a floor unless that's an idea that the choreographer works. More negative space yeah. involved. Definitely, in my work in dance, um, is definitely been me. Um, boy, I'm not sure how to say this without sounding terrible but it's really about me figuring out what the choreographer wants and then helping them get it nice um you know and and uh i've you know with you know with 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 theater i've definitely felt more of sort of the struggle about kind of what's the tone of it and you know where are we going what does the play want to say and all this and (laughs) you know in dance since you're usually not text-based i mean although sometimes you do have a text lurking in the in the back, it's it's usually um, finding out who this choreographer is, who this person is, what's the voice, and what they're trying to do with this piece, and then just trying to help them get it. Okay. Um, and the other interesting thing too is it typically and not not always, but if you're if you're a set designer and you get to work with a choreographer, choreographer, usually that choreographer has worked for a long time before they've gotten to the point that they can hire a designer. Okay. 
So they have usually they've had years and years and years and years of doing it on their own. Okay. You know, so things things are a, things, so things are a little bit different. You're entering this very private yeah. world. You can be a stage director and hire and have uh, like designers and know sure. how to work with designers. Yeah. But it's much different because they don't have that yeah. constant interaction. Yeah, and and dancers are often collaborators in the sure. design too. Sure. You know, in a way that I would say actors aren't as much. Right. Um. You know. Um. You know, particularly when you get into like equity and that kind of thing. Absolutely. Um, you know, usually the actors kind of, you know, do, you know, the, the whole thing is usually designed before the actors ever set are, foot on it or even show up for rehearsal. It's true. Um, yeah. You're and working dance. in a room taped down on the floor. And yeah. But, you know, um, working with Joe Good and uh, Trajal Harrell, who's a choreographer I work with in New York, has just been wonderful. So um, I really, I really cherish Those are some of my absolute favorite, favorite, favorite. Um, experiences. I hope someday to do ballet. I really hope to. So. Uh, well, I hope you do too because thank I you. know it'll be gorgeous. <laughs> Eric, I thank you so much for spending time with thank us. Thank you. And if people would like to learn more about you, please tell them their your website where they can come and oh, yes, read all about you. Yes, if you, if you want to. It's uh, ericflatmo.com. So it's E-R-I-K-F-L-A-T-M-O. Uh, dot com and I should I should confess I don't do the best job of maintaining my website. Well, you're so. too busy designing gorgeous too, things. Too busy, yes. But and your current work is currently running in San Francisco at the at the Gary Theater uh, with with Amer produced by American Conservatory Theater ACT and it's the Government Inspector directed by Carrie Perloff. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you, Diana. You have been listening to the studio interviews. Thanks for joining us.